Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Hey, Corey, I listened to a show yesterday about tea. You ever drink tea? Tea? <laughs> Probably not as much as you, but uh, I'm interested. What's up? I'm more of a coffee person. But so this is interesting. Uh, I didn't know that all tea comes from the same plant, whether it's black tea, oolong tea, green tea, white tea. They all come from the same plant, and the only difference is in how they process them or how they harvest them and what they do to them. I didn't know that. I thought green tea was a different plant. And uh. and then things like uh, chamomile and you know all these herbal teas aren't really tea. They're just a hot drink. Yeah. But tea comes from this one plant, and I can't say the, the real name of it. But they told, they were talking about the history of tea and how it went into different cultures. And there's an interesting saying by the Japanese, and it what it meant was like uh, one drink, one time. And they have this whole culture set around when two people come together that they they prepare this drink of tea, right? And they eat it together. And it doesn't mean like you're never going to see that person again. But this one drink one time means like we will never have this experience again. You know, mm-hmm. you and I sitting here on this day and this time. And it really like focuses and draws everything into the event of it being present and enjoying where you're at and thankfulness and gratitude and it's all based around conversation. Mm. And I, I found that, I just thought that was that was really neat. One drink, one time, you know, where they come together. That's interesting. Um, and the other thing was cool about tea is that, you know, the Japanese are so focused on doing things the best they can do, like a master sushi, sh- sushi chef. Um, but in tea, you never become like the master or the ultimate because – they have this culture, this belief that, that there is, you never perfect it. You're always learning and it's the most simple process. And yet in that simplicity, it's learning how to bring out the simplicity that takes a lifetime to mm. learn that there's always more to learn. Mm. Isn't that mm. something? It is something. And yeah. the, did you know the tea plant? This is amazing. I don't even know how like there's enough tea in the world because these plants grow up and when they harvest the tea, they use two leaves off the very top of the plant and this bud in between the two leaves. And that's what's <laughs> used from that plant. Like this whole plant grows up to produce these two uh, really? perfect leaves and the bud. And that's the only thing they harvest off of that. And I just thought, you know, how tea's so light anyway. Uh, how in the world is there enough tea in the world? Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I saw um, once where a cashew nut comes from. And there's this big, long, it looks like a fruit. It kind of looks like a like a chili pepper thing that grows. And inside each, in these cashew plants, grow these <clears> big, <throat> huge chili peppers. And inside is one nut. And, you know, you see at Costco, the big jar of cashew nuts. You know, right. thousands of them or whatever in there. And if you ever just look up cashew nut, you just see this big, huge thing that they got to cut open just to get one little nut out. I don't know who does it, but I think about it every time I see these things. <laughs> it's like, man, there's a lot of work to get it. Yeah, the the coffee beans the same way. There's two little beans in the middle of this fruit. You're lucky if you get two of them out of it. And 
And I heard that in this program, they said that coffee is on the cusp of the USDA or USRD, the the people that do the food recommendations for our diet. It's on the cusp of saying that they're going to recommend five cups of coffee a day now as a health benefit. <laughs> Jeez, you know, you think about it every 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 day. Uh, most of America wakes up on a on, on a mild stimulant. You know, it's right. like that's what powers America. You know, you mentioned two people come together though. Get uh, just not so much about the drink. Um, there's a Hebrew saying that I really enjoyed I, when I heard it. It says, "When two people come together, it should it should benefit a third. And uh, I, I just, I liked that. And I thought about you and I coming together and how, you know, in that aspect of, of the tea and how, you know, we won't have this again. And I'm thinking, but we do have this again. And I enjoy it every time. You and I have gotten together almost 100 times now, you know, <laughs> when, right. you know, you've, you've had podcasts uh, of stories of the saints, which are wonderful too, but, but how it never grows old, just sitting down with you, Mike, and talking about the things that are on our hearts and our minds and and the thing of it is, for anyone listening, we hope this uh, the two of us coming together does benefit you. Yeah. So, obviously, when I was listening to that thing on tea, I was thinking about other cultures and how different America is and how I think in other cultures there's a gratitude or a more of a community um, they just appreciate time more. I've, I've listened to enough <laughs> multinational um podcast and watch shows where people live life a little differently, you know, mm-hmm. like the French, you know, thinking about working an 80 hour work week would be ridiculous to yeah. them. It's more yeah. about, yeah, work. Like, there's this, uh, yeah, the French I was listening, they, when they have conversation, this lady said, I, I knew this lady, you know, we were almost best friends and in a year and a half never came up. Like, what do you do for work? Mm-hmm. It was just about how are you today? What's going on in life? And, and yet in America, when we, meet each other it's like so where do you work what do you do you know it's all about your criteria and over there it's like it works this the whole thing that's not really about life but we have to do it you know it's yeah more about fellowship yeah and- yeah you know mike I, i'm not going to share the whole story here but you you saying that reminded me years ago my wife and i took an anniversary trip to italy and uh, when we were over there one time you know we, we wanted to try the the coffee and different things <clears> we but we were in a hurry, like tourists trying to get to places. And um, the short version of the story is we, we went into this, you know, nice little coffee shop. And they're all over. And we offered, we, we asked for two cups of coffee to go. And we, we just wanted to take them with us, you know, like we mm-hmm. were here at Starbucks or whatever. And um, and the guy's like shaking his head, not understanding. And we're thinking, oh, this guy doesn't understand English. So I say it more slowly, two cups of coffee to go. And then all of a sudden he looks at me and then he responds back in perfect English. He, but he deadpans. He goes, you want two cups of coffee? What? And it's like, he didn't get the to go part because over there, no one grabbed their coffee and then went off into their corner with their phone. You go into these coffee shops and there'd be, you know, four, four people kind of huddled around a table for two, just all leaning in, talking to each other and everything. There wasn't a cell phone to be seen. It was like, it was all about the fellowship of the moment, you know? And it was like the concept of taking your coffee off somewhere else and being by yourself just wasn't what it was about. (laughs) You know, that was, that was interesting to us. My friend, Adam Gard shared a, um, a story with me, you know, he took his daughter to Italy for her graduation and he had a friend over there that he known from somewhere. I don't remember where if it was art school or whatever, but they, they were staying with this friend. And, uh, at one, at one evening they went down to this local restaurant, you know, a, a Italian food restaurant and 
he said someone would walk into the restaurant and everybody would would stand up and you know in a in Italian oh, it's a blade, uh, yeah, hey, yeah, right. hey, and they'd hug and <laughs> uh, kiss each other on the cheek and sit down and then someone else would come oh Antonio da, 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 and <laughs> right, hug and, right and Adam said I walk into the the pizza shop up on the square and I'll see somebody from church or somebody and we barely you know do a wave to each other but they were so grateful to see each other and he asked his host he says is this real or is this just all for me or what are you? <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? He goes, is this how it always is? She was, well, yeah. And in that village, you know, they get up in the morning they go down to the bread guy and get their bread for the day and go to the cheese guy and get yeah, their cheese and yeah. go get their vegetables from the, and the community is just different. And so there's a different um, sense of belonging I just can't imagine like how that doesn't add to the quality of life. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! You know that richness, that human, uh, just the love that comes through it. We had we had a little story like that too, which is it probably worth sharing. Uh, not to oh go ahead, not, but but I just. Uh, the same trip to Italy. So uh, one of the things that surprised us. Uh, well, go back up. One of my wife's interests is is long distance running, and when we were going to Italy, we found out that um, there was going to be a half marathon in Florence. We were staying there in Florence, and so uh, the first thing that's interesting is that if you're a runner and do do like running events, you find that most of the time here in America, uh, these things get started early, like before daylight, and and usually if you're running a half marathon distance, which most of the runners who are you know fairly uh, consistent runners are, are going to have that race done in about two hours or less, some very much less than that, but some over. But nevertheless, a race in the United States of that length would start around, you know, 7 a.m. And by, by 9.30 or so, everyone's pretty much done, other than, you know, some people coming through. Well, like me. <laughs> so anyhow, to get registered for this race, um, Margie has, over there, they required everyone to have a doctor sign off. You had to have like a health physical, which isn't something that's normal here in America. But to do that, she had to email this guy named, I think his name was Flavio, uh, over there. And they had to correspond a couple times to get the paperwork right. Well, you go sign up for the race and you go register usually the day before. And when, when Margie gets there, this person who she just knew by email, who was, who was like the registrar for the race, all of a sudden... Marjorie and he's like big hug and big hands and he only knew her by email you know it's like this this huge like welcome and gathering people right. around this is Marjorie you know and it's like but the, but the funny thing is their race didn't even start till like 9 30 a.m and we thought oh well we'll go to a coffee shop early Marjorie usually has a cup of coffee before she runs and so we're there like 6 a.m looking for a coffee shop and and they're not open because coffee wasn't about getting it injected into your system first thing in the day and then just getting on to do what you do. They're like, we went to knock on these doors of coffee shops and they're like, are you open yet? It's like someone's in there. Ah, uh, maybe eight thirty or so we open, you know, most people had three cups of coffee by right. then. Right. And it, and it wasn't about that at all, but that, that welcoming atmosphere. And like you say, the, the, the aspect that life was just different. Work was just something you do to kind of get by to the next day because we've been doing it for 2,000 years anyhow, right? right. And, it, and, and it's going to be the same tomorrow. But it was that enjoyment of life, not being in a hurry, not being not, not having to jam 10 things into a day. And if you didn't interact with someone during the day in a meaningful way, then you missed out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do long for things like that. But we... We recently have been talking about, and I think this ties in to what we'll talk about today, um, 
the gospel. We've been talking about what does the Book of Mormon teach about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of Jesus Christ going back to his covenant people. And I was going to ask you a question, Corey. I, I listened to a program this week, and I wanted to talk about this. What What does Christianity look like today? Because as we're talking about this culture, we, we don't understand uh the perception or the experience of people in other countries. I mean, in our minds, we like, oh, okay, I know that exists. But unless you've actually been to Italy and walked into that and experienced it, it, it does something to your mind like, oh, you know, this is, there are other people in other places, you know, and, yeah. and it's not just a mind thing, but you, you actually experience and internalize it. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I was, um, I listened to something very touching this week. And it's if I was to ask you, Corey, what what is a from from where we're at and you know in our life, what's a average Christian to you? How would you describe mm-hmm. the average Christian to you? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question because really my mind just goes to the life I've known, and you know, you picture someone who lives in a three bedroom house who drives their car to church on Sunday and right. you know has Thanksgiving with the family, and and then mm-hmm. they they might know a couple hymns and and you know and then they try to be a good person now and then, but we all fall. You know right. that's sort of the, my my take on Christianity, right? I th- yeah. Um, and if you went out on the street and asked you know ten different people what a Christ- what's a Christian look like, who knows what answers you'd get? But to me, it's you know in America, it's someone that goes to this giant church and there's, um, you can watch it online. Um, you get motivational talks, you know, to be a good person, to internalize things and try to be good during the week. And, little, little devotionals to remind <clears throat> you to stay yeah, on the course. Right. Probably, uh, can get involved in a small group somewhere in somebody's home and, you know, you have mm-hmm. snacks and it's, it's, and you nice know, a env- couple, you have a couple friends. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's think about this for a minute. Um, there is a huge theme or, or I guess, theme running through America right now about being inclusive, being uh, diverse, and being unified. And it's based on a lot of things. Um, but I want to talk about those type of words in the gospel of Jesus Christ and just draw our minds into that a little bit because I— I really found some things this week I heard interesting. Um, if we're talking about the family of God or Christians across the world, there's a guy uh, I've talked about before, Tim Mackey on the Bible Project. And listen to this story, Corey. He and his family went to Jerusalem. And over there in Israel, there is a place called the Church of the Pastor Noster. Anyway, it's a 4th century chapel, and it's right on the Mount of Olives. Now, we know the Mount of Olives, right, is where uh, things happen in the Bible. Yeah. And so it's uh, an important place. So they built this church there. But in this church, he said, there's a corridor that runs in this big circle. And in that corridor, there's the Lord's Prayer, and it's written in over 100 languages. Just think about that for a minute. The Lord's Prayer is this very... Uh, we 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 know it growing up and learning it in, in Sunday school. I think we prayed it before every football game. Mm-hmm. We'd get on our knees and, mm-hmm. and say the Lord's Prayer. A hundred different languages. And you can walk around this and you can see it written out. And when he was there, this tour bus had, uh, had stopped. Well, several tour buses. And there were people. And he heard the Lord's Prayer being read. And he said it wasn't all a hundred languages. He said well, it was at least ten. 
different languages and different groups of people from that culture sitting there and reading the Lord's Prayer in their own language. Mm. And he said that stuck with him because it went from his mind of, oh, yeah, there's I know there's Christians out there that believe in other places to like this gospel reaches every ethnicity, every culture. Um, it's like when I walked into the Mormon Visitor Center probably three or four years ago, and in one room there's this t- big round table, and there was Book of Mormons, and I think they had 140 different languages, and they had a Book of Mormon from each one of those languages, and she mm-hmm. said this wasn't even all of them. Wow. Well, there you're looking at a book, but when you see people you know, reading that, those words from their that, culture, from yeah. that culture yeah. in that language, mm. it's something that we we have to internalize a little more. So I, <clears throat> in this political climate and things that have been going on, I I know I feel safest when I see somebody say something that goes along lines with what I believe, and we kind of gravitate towards those things. I have no idea what they feel about Christ or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But we we use different things to make us feel, uh, I think we kind of flock to our own people with our own ideals and our own way of thinking. And when you meet someone that says something contrary to what you believe, there's like a little wall that goes up maybe or a little like maybe you're a little guarded, like, okay, I got to be careful of this person. Right, right, right exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's... I wanted to, uh, you know, it's like I'll be friendly with that person, but I won't be open with that person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, they said something in this program I listened to, um, and the stats were kind of crazy. But today, so think about this: uh, a few centuries before Christ, they said there were only only but twenty nine million people on the face of the earth. Before, so you're talking at like zero BC or whatever, or like, or zero, like, zero say, AD, yeah, uh, three or four hundred BC, three or four hundred BC. Okay, twenty nine million people. Like that's all. That's like the city of Mexico City or something like that. You right. It's like right wow. on the face of the earth. The face of the earth. Wow. So today we have over seven billion, and in, and and it's not like it's slowly, gradually uh, increasing. It kind of goes along, and then it exponentially increases as more and more people are born. Then they have kids, you know. So it's a mm-hmm. it's a very steep incline. So in the last you know few decades, it's really increased. But I think of Christianity as America, and we're the Christian nation, and and most people here are Christians, at least in my circle, are growing up. Mm-hmm. In the world today, it says there's about two billion Christians. So out of 7 billion, that's not, is that 25%? A little little more than 25%. One of the largest uh, places where Christians live is in Europe, 530 million. And I would say that would go along with my expectations. I think of, you know, white European Christianity um, but but I would think of that as a lot of Catholicism too, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in places too. I mean, as, as far as a specific branch. But yeah, go ahead. This is interesting. Yeah. So close behind that is Latin America with 510 million. And Africa has 390 million. I wouldn't think of Africa. Well, I kind of do because I've known missionaries that have gone there. But uh, that's not the first thing that comes to my mind when I picture a Christian yeah. in my mind from where I live. 
and Asia has 300 million. But listen to this. If it says if we go out 25 years from now, just to 20, this was written a bit a, a while ago by 2025, which is just around the corner. The title for the most Christian continent with the largest number of Christians is going to be in competition between Africa and Latin America. Really? More more there than Europe and the United States? Yep. and wow. Asia, yes. And Asia. Wow. So it says uh, there's no doubt by 2050 that Africa will win. By 2050, which is just a few decades away, 30, 30 years away, Africa is going to be the Christian hub of the world. Wow. That's... Uh, <laughs> And that's just looking at demographics across the world, right? Uh, and trends, wow. And, and here's, but here's the other thing: it says, as Christianity moves to the global south, Christianity is also entering a world that is so very poor. If you want to think of the average Christian in the world today, then think of perhaps a woman living in a village in Nigeria, or a shanty town in Brazil who by the typical American standards, and this is inconceivably poor, we can't even understand how poor they are. And, and yet, so what you're saying is that is, for the demographics, the typical Christian The alive typical Christian. Right now, is, is, a, is a woman raising her kids on just beans and rice mm-hmm. or, or someone <clears throat> who's just living in total poverty yeah. on the edge of a dump in a, in a little galvanized shed? With probably no uh, running water or plumbing. And that's, that's the that's, average Christian in the world right now. Interesting. Wow. Now, how does that how does that set the stage for the gospel and coming back and gathering all people? So, uh, so here's another thing about Christianity. When we talk about unity, I'm going to read a quote here. It's not whether humans want to unify or think they should be unified. The question is, what is the story driving that unity? Mm. The story can't be, uh, well, the story can be a lot of things, but what's the story driving the unity? And Christianity has to be the story driving all unity. And so, Corey, if we were to say, you and I, if you really think about this, you and I have more in common with, uh, a lady who, in Nigeria, you know, who goes down to the water every day and carries it back to her house, who has no, no, uh, you know, maybe no electricity or barely works when it does, <laughs> inconceivably poor. Mm. Then we have some. Then we have a commonality among someone who's in our own economic status, who wears the. Uh, nice clothes like we do, who drives their car to work every day, who belongs to our own political party, but is not a follower of Christ. Mm. We would have, if you really think about it, we have more in common with the poor, inconceivably poor. I would hope that that would be who we have something in common with because that's who has our moral, our uh, understanding of how to love one another, how to value one another, um, how to not look down on, 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 on one another, um, 
You know, we that, just we're, we're that's our sisters and, and our and, brothers. And that's that's our family in Christ. Isn't that amazing? And I that's love, who we want to live with, and that's who's going to be in the kingdom, and, not <laughs> people that look like us that that have their own wealth with us. Go out to the restaurants we go out to, who you know have the same bumper sticker on their car as we believe in. Those all make us feel safe. But if if you really check your heart, brother, is it like is that who's going to be in heaven? But but do they believe in the ideals of Christ? Yeah. And we wow. really believe in it and want it and long for the kingdom of God? Wow. wow. Because you've got a brother or sister on the other side of the world that's longing for the kingdom of God. And that's that's globalism. And it's the opposite of the globalism that makes us cringe as people who are conservative as we think of this big entity taking over the world. That's Babylon. Mm-hmm. But it's based on a false a false religion, a false ideals. That's the bad globalism, but but Christ is the is the good globalism, the unification, the unity, the inclusivity, but it's not based on fallacy and things that don't matter. It's based on uh, a love for his word and his kingdom and his ideals. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, that's powerful, Mike. And when we take a step back, and then we find these beautiful messages that are that are pure parts of the gospel, like that every person needs to know about. Whether you know I'm Corey Stark living in you know Lee Summit, Missouri, uh, or whether I'm this woman in the shanty on the in Brazil, um, I I find this message when we separate out just kind of the the excess of our history from the message, it's the message everyone needs to hear about how our heart has to change. And we have to, we ha- we can, this message can transcend every cultural gap, you know, that, no, your your heart has to change and, and that we were hopelessly lost. We were, as the Book of Mormon states, in the grasp of justice. That was our only end unless the Savior stepped in. And, oh, my gosh, it's like that is a pure, timeless message. And it's it's almost been, like, hidden away because I think we rely too much on the things that you just said that, well, in our in our smaller groups we that are just kind of our same political-leaning people who kind of have the same maybe short-term goals, who, who kind of just think, hey, it's all about maybe, and I don't want to be harsh here, but just waiting for the next bad event to happen. And then, they, then we know that God's doing something. It's like, that's not it. You know, it's like there, there's a bigger story here. And it's like we, we, we are, we're, we'll be shocked, I guess, someday when, when we see God's arm revealed where he says, I'm going to, I'm going to move in power and regather these people because, you know, these are mine. But just realize at, at, at the same time, a very positive message. If we turn back to this Book of Mormon, we find that the pure message contained within it is, has got a, a message for anyone in the world. And it's not just about the things that we've made it out to be. Well, you know, you, you got to get here right now and bad things are happening. It's like, to step that aside for a minute and just look at what it tells us about our relationship to God, our relationship of the heart, our, our promises of these covenants where God said, I'm scattering these branches to the nethermost part of the vineyard, and I have not forgotten where they are. You know, these people, there's a there's a powerful, powerful story unfolding that involves all these people. And to, and to think, man, they are just as much my brothers in Christ and how you're describing right. this. That's, that's amazing. That's the... That's why I thought that when I heard that program and I said, I want to just talk about some of this today because 
I think it opens it opened my mind in listening, and I'll put a link in here to this podcast. It's called The Family of God by the Bible Project, and a lot of this stuff is on there. And I'm actually just looking at their notes from that. But let me read just the beginning of what they said. They said, at the very essence, the Bible is saying that what God is doing in the story of humanity is unifying diverse nations into one new humanity, but not in a way that erases or marginalizes any one culture's differences, but actually in a way that honors and resurrects and glorifies what is unique and beautiful about every human and culture. And that's the family of God. They talked about it. The disciples talked about it in the New Testament, right? When there is no longer Jew or, or Greek or Gentile, there is just one. Ba- the Book of Mormon says one. Is it the Book of Mormon? One baptism, one faith. Could be the Bible. Could be both. <laughs> we uh, we know that when you're baptized into the family of God. That is your new group. That's your homies. That's your family, right? That's your people, uh, and it's not—it's not just skin and color and uh, and how we eat and the food we eat and our economic status. It is the family of God. And then, so if we start off with that, listen to this at the very end of the story in Revelation. And the city has no need of the sun. This is Revelation twenty twenty one, or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp, oh, this is so beautiful, its lamp is the Lamb. Mm. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. This shows that the new humanity retains its identity as the human family that has expanded and grown. The many are reconciled as a unified yet diverse whole that is called the body of the Lamb. Think about that. We are the body of Christ, right? Mm. The body, you're looking at the body of Christ and you see it as like all of these people making up this picture of Christ as one body, and yet each one is this beautiful individual creation that God made that grew up in different places of the world with different foods, with different interactions, with you know, different social norms mm-hmm. and, and values. And we're going to learn so much, you know, Zion is not going to be like barely nodding your head when you walk into a pizza shop, when you see your brother, it's going to be the guy at the race that says, Corey, yeah, exactly. and, and kisses your neck. Oh and my gosh. So yeah. I can't wait to incorporate some of these, uh, ideals and ways of living in life from other countries because I just got to realize that we are we are not it we're not the all so I just thought it would be good to talk about this a little bit because we've been talking about the gospel going back to other nations and and the house of Israel which when we say the Jews we're talking about the house of Israel which are scattered all over the world and and, and more than likely as Africa becomes the central hub, I have to believe that that's uh, descendants of the house of Israel. Yes. Uh, I know my dad uh, had a friend over there, Hensley, from the Ibu tribe, which they yep. go back in their uh, history, say they're from the, they're Hebrew, they're from uh, descendants from the house of Israel, yes. you know, thousands of years yes. ago. Yep. So this to me, Corey, is 
so refreshing. It's so exciting. And it's so, uh, what's the word? It makes me feel safe and free because it's like, I don't know. I, I just picture someone like living in this little hut out in the woods that's lonely and they miss other people, but the cavalry's coming, you know, there's this flock of people coming and you're no longer going to be alone. And that's how I feel about the little saints and, you know, my group that I grew up with and in independence, uh, that we're not alone. We're not alone. And we, we've put so much pressure on ourselves that we've got to, you know, we've got to get things right so the kingdom can be present and the world can be saved. And it's like, take a deep breath, relax, look at what the word of God says and know that helps coming and helps on the way. And you've got brothers and sisters all over this continent that are coming to Christ. Uh, Amen. Amen. And, and that this powerful work is going forth by everything God said it would be in a grander way than we can ever picture it with all those people. I just, I love that, Mike. This uh, scripture in Revelations 9, and they sang a new song mm. saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's a pattern in the in the mm. scriptures where they say every tribe, kindred, sometimes they say kindred, nation, tongue, people. They're saying that meaning every geographical place, every culture, every ethnicity, every DNA uh, background. So it's like saying no one's left out on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. That 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 pattern of speaking, every tribe, language, people, nation. Mm-hmm. You have made them to be what? a kingdom of priests to serve our God. That's beautiful language. I've heard that misinterpreted, that, that priest. It's not talking about the, the priest in the temple, but that God's people, his servants, are in every place in the earth. Yeah, specifically to that. And uh, he, it was a, that, that word priest in that uh, rendition of the Greek didn't mean priesthood. It meant holy people. That's, that's what the yeah, true word meant. Mm-hmm. A kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Mm. These people from all nations have been made into one kingdom by Jesus. Mm. Doesn't that sound better than trying to be uh, one kingdom based on, you know, the percentage of this color of skin versus this color of skin and making sure it's equal and, you know, making sure, uh, you know, you know know what's going on in the world today. We want everything to be equal based on everything that isn't the gospel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the ideals may be good. They may be, uh, well, they, they, I can't even say that because there's so much, anyway, there's only one truly unified kingdom and that's the kingdom of God. Amen. And it's, and those people, you know, one day when the scriptures prophesy there will be two churches, the church of God becomes or is, is the substance of that is this global cross section of people whose hearts have been changed. You know, we emphasize, I think we narrowly emphasize that the story is first about doctrine. And then maybe for some of us, it's always only been about doctrine, but but what the Book of Mormon teaches is, no, your heart changes first. And from that 
God works on the doctrinal issues, but the final test isn't necessarily over doctrine. The, the test is over. Did your heart change? Did you did you wake up and want to serve God or not? And the Book of Mormon teaches, hey, if you're a servant for Christ, you aren't a servant of the devil. If you're a servant of the devil, you're not a servant for Christ. And that, you know, I, you mentioned Africa and how it's growing in its population and and, and how the demographics of those people are so unlike what we picture because of maybe our, our narrow focus. Um, well, well, two things. I, I just want to say one thing. Um, s- s- my oldest daughter was five, so that's more than 20 years ago. Um, she had never been to a world conference, and I hadn't really participated in any of those things, before, but the Community of Christ world conferences. And if you grew up in the church, you know, many years ago, maybe you attended those, and maybe now you're doing something else. But nevertheless, not to, not to try to bring up those issues. I just remember this moment in time. It was um, the first time my my daughter had been in the auditorium when it was full of people. And it was at the beginning of a conference. And this opening service, you could see people from, you know, the Philippines, and you could see people from Africa, and you could see people from Europe, and you could see all these people. And I remember this gleeful look on this little five-year-old's face saying, Dad, or maybe she was eight or so. I think maybe she was eight. She had just been baptized, in fact. She just said, I had no idea these people were part of my church, you know? And it's like all of a sudden that vision expanded. And and that's one of the things I think that, you know, if doctrinal differences aside, I think the community of Christ has kept in perspective that the, the message is to the world and that the church is of the, you know, this this global population. Um, and so my my other point I want to make is that um, in recent years in my, my work as a contractor, I travel around to a lot of industries and, and work with teams of people who are employed in other companies. And um, But I get to know these people because our relationships and projects we work on sometimes go on for years. One of the nicest people I know at this point in my life, and that nice doesn't describe it, um, man's name is Patrice. He, he's, he comes from Cameroon, from Africa. Um, he speaks one, two, three, four, maybe five languages fluently. Um, he he's he is the kindest adult male probably I I know at this point in my life, and maybe I've ever known. And it's like I know a lot of really nice people, and it's like how and people are saying, how can you say someone's nicer than Jack Hagenson? You know, it's right. like, but this is this is this is nice in a way that is. Um, it's penetrating and sincere and, and the joyousness. And it's like, he's a, he's a man about six feet, eight tall, very, uh, very African looking in appearance, uh, speaks with kind of a French accent because that's one of his uh, languages. He speaks fluently, speaks English fluently, um, better than me uh, most days, but, um, just greets with a hug. Corey, my friend, it's so good to see you. You know, <laughs> here's this big, huge black man hugging me in the middle of a bunch of people, and he doesn't care. And it's like, it's just the genuineness of his heart. That's what touches me every time. And and when I look at this message of the gospel and, and realize that, you know, ultimately when the scriptures say, hey, you know, I called people to the feast, but you didn't have on the wedding garment. You weren't ready. So then what did I do? I told my servants, Go out in the streets, call anyone, get the get the homeless, get the get the prostitutes, whatever. I need people and 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 give invite them to the wedding. Well, that invitation means to listen to this basic message of the gospel and let your heart be changed by it. And those people in the end 
make up the army of the Lord, you know? And it's, and I, and I look at this man, Patrice, and, and many people like him, and I think, that's the dividing line, is that our hearts were changed. And in the end, we respond to Christ and his love because of that. And that's, that's, that's what puts people on the left hand or the right hand. What do you think it is about those cultures where, where he looks so happy to see you? And I was thinking, you walked in this morning and we're like, hey, Corey, hey, buddy. Yeah, yeah, we sit right. down and we like start getting onto the computers. It's, it's not that we don't appreciate each other, but we're just wired different to like task-oriented maybe or, you know, uh, we got a job to do. Let's not let each other get too much you yeah. know, focused on <laughs> too it, much other than let's get the work done. It's I don't more about know. the work, right. In fact, it's funny because uh, P- Patrice and I just, uh, my friend from Cameroon, we were just texting at Thanksgiving, wishing each other Thanksgiving. And he said, you know, I appreciate our friendship because it's always more than about work. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, those were his very words. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, I've been humbled, um, I never, never thought this would happen, but just I was looking through some of the countries and things that are listening, you know, Germany, Singapore, Slovakia, Ukraine, Portugal, New Zealand. These are people who've tuned into the podcast. Yeah, wow. I can see where the listens. Uh, I got a message the other day on Messenger from um, one of the countries in Africa, and it was this young man in it was the strangest message. It said, will you be my dad? And I thought, what in the world? Oh, wow. So I responded back, said, I don't know what you mean. And he said, can you, will you, will you teach me? Will you help me learn? And it was Beautiful. like, it was like a different, Beautiful. like right. the translation was lost, like yes. more like a mentor or a guide or <laughs> help exactly. me learn. Exactly. The, yeah. And that's just oh wow, uh, amazing. I said, I said, yeah, I can. I'd be happy to answer any questions you have. And or, where was that person from? I don't know, it was somewhere in Africa. And somewhere in Africa. Well, I got to share this, and I, I, I don't want I, going back to Patrice. So, something that I just learned, and this was I thought so beautiful because Patrice's uh, daughter, oldest daughter, had a had a child, and uh, so it would be Patrice's grandson, first grandchild. And he said, and and his daughter lives in Michigan, and Patrice is in Texas, and. Um, because of work and stuff, it's like they weren't there at the birth. And he and I said, "Are you going to go see, meet your your grandson soon?" And he said, "No." He said, "In our culture, he's talking about Cameroon." He said, "It's it's very important that the that my grandson is presented to me." He said, "It's a big event." He said, "I'll I'll take friends with me. There will be family, and it's like a special event to meet my grandson because he said because in my culture, he's not my grandson. He is my son." He said, "I have as much responsibility for training him." as his own biological parents do. And so going back to what that person just said, they, they must have grown up in this culture where they see a male mm. authority who knows as their father because that's exactly what Patrice says. He said, no, he'll be growing up. He'll be raised to realize that I'm his father too. That is, Isn't that beautiful? That's interesting. One of the great blessings, one of the most enjoyable things I have uh, and I'm blessed to do is in this city, we have a lot of refugees. We have a lot of people from different countries. But when I go into their home, I know there's certain homes where I I take my shoes off on the outside because of their culture and you walk in. um, No matter how different you are, (laughs) this is a funny story, no matter how different you are, when you gather around a new life, a new baby that's in the, um, there's so many similarities and, and, and though I may be in a home with people of a different religious belief, uh, a different um, ethnic uh, ethnicity, their skin looks different, 
sometimes we have to use an interpreter on a phone, but you can communicate so much by holding this new life and you see the joy around it and the expectation, the marvel at the miracle that it is, you know, when you see, when you hold this little tiny life in your hands and then you look at us and how big we are, like oh, this yeah. comes in to yeah. be like us someday. Yeah. How yeah. in the world does this happen? Right. Yeah. Uh, and totally dependent too. Right? Yeah. So I was in a home the other day and it was funny cause I was setting up my uh, equipment and, you know, stethoscope and scale and everything for the baby to do our, our little home visit. And I saw on the table, uh, on, you know, the old paper with the lines, the dotted lines, it teaches you how to write your letters. And there were several young kids in the home, like it was saying like Muhammad is, it was all a different religion, you know, and mm. writing things about them, but they were training their kids. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And, um, and it was an Egyptian family. They didn't, they spoke English, but very thick, thick accent. You had to work hard to get the meaning across. Well, the kids are always watching cartoons, you know, and so uh, I assessed the baby and everything, and I was talking with dad, and uh, and it's this, it's the first girl of the family, so they mm-hmm. just uh, very uh, well. She's the center of attention. All the little boys and the brothers all gather around her, and they love her, you know. So I get ready to leave, and I looked over, and <laughs> dad's got the little baby in his arms, and the kids have been watching cartoons. And as I'm leaving, I hear dad. Singing to the little baby, Scoopy Doopy Doo, where are you? Because <laughs> they've been watching, he's heard that cartoon, and he's oh, just funny. holding the baby, looking at it. And as I walked out, I thought, we are all the same, man, <laughs> in so many ways. <laughs> to hear Scoopy Dooby Doo oh. saying it with this thick uh, accent from another country it was just adorable. And I thought, uh, God has made us with uh, so many. Uh, the ability to love and to appreciate new creation is a global, a global thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that. Well, let's end this episode with a couple more things. That um, this is just something I want. The focus of this it says the Jesus movement, right? Christianity. Uh, this is going to sound like words, but just think about this. It is the most culturally and ethnically diverse people movement in the history of the human race. Mm, wow. Think about any other movement, uh, you know, down through history that has involved so many people from so many different cultures. Um, you know, just the fact that there's a hundred Lord, hundred different languages of the Lord's Prayer, or mm-hmm. a, or a Book of Mormon in 140 languages plus. What else would ever unite people like that? That's in the history of the human race. Mm-hmm. Now that just seems like words, but when you think about that from the most poor place in the most isolated place in Africa, there's people who believe that God came down and walked among his people and died and that their sins can be forgiven for every bad thought and every bad thing they've done and every guilty feeling they've had, they can be clean and forgiven. Mm -hmm. That knowledge, that story is unifying and it's never been done in any other religion any other political uh, takeover of a country. You yeah. know, you can try yeah. to force people to believe what you want and to be your way, but it was the guy that came and laid his life down and appeared weak, you know, as a lamb and let people do whatever they would to him that won over 
and became the most culturally and, and ethnically diverse that that grabbed people from around the world and included them into this family. Is that's yeah. that's that's incredible. Gandhi didn't do that. You know, the mm-hmm. greatest leaders and Mother Teresa didn't. For all of the good they did, they mm. there's one man that did that, and he was the son of God. Yeah, yeah. So the Book of Mormon says in the beginning that it's basically to, to convince every nation that Jesus is the Christ, the Jew and the Gentile. I heard uh, I heard an interesting um, exclamation of Gentile. And what do you think of when you hear the word Gentile, Corey? I, I I think of it as basically two two things. One of them is if you look at just lineage, like you know the DNA, you you see this family of Moses, not Moses of Abraham, rather that kind of came down through the Moses generation, those twelve tribes, and 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 I look at anyone who wasn't part of that as um, a Gentile, but there's a second way and more of a spiritual way. I, you know, we kind of believe we're adopted into this family of Christ and who, anyone who's not in, and that is kind of the, the Gentile. So I don't know. I sort of see it two ways. I always thought of it as a, uh, well, in today's day and age, like white uh, European non house of Israel, but it meant more back then as to, um, people that weren't of our culture, that weren't of our religious belief in our God. Um, so, yeah, we can maybe look at it another time. Do you have anything else you wanted to? Well, that's kind of a good segue probably into our next segment because where we were at last time, and I, I really enjoyed this conversation, um, we're going to get back into Second Nephi 11 where the conversation had been all about Jews in the house of Israel, but now it's turning to Gentiles, and now it's going to turn to that role that that we have and that they have and what their what the future is and how this beautiful kind of global picture that God has painted begins to unfold and into our vision here through his word in the book of mormon so yeah i like that and you know one thing mike i just want to add this <clears throat> when you're describing these people who are in places of the world not like ours you know who are maybe poor um maybe to our standards, even homeless in a, in a sense, you know, compared to their temporal means, um, to, to people who speak different languages and their cultures might suggest different things about who they are, what they're capable of. You know, the interesting thing is when this message of Jesus Christ reaches them, um, very quickly on, it's, it's a, it's not something that we manage or that, you know, like we being the, okay, well, we're the people who have the restored gospel, and then we kind of control what you think, or we're the source of knowledge. No, their their source of knowledge becomes direct a direct relationship with the Heavenly Father, just like just like we we are. And and this is I bring this out because there's this mindset somehow that I grew up with thinking that, well, we were always a little superior, you know, we're always going to be a little dominant, but you know, when the Holy spirit penetrates a person's heart, that relationship becomes real and it becomes direct and it becomes one-on-one where, where that person's mind, whether they live in Nigeria or Ethiopia, or they live in Brazil, you know, or, or they live in, in communist China, when the Holy spirit touches a person, that relationship becomes direct with God and they 
I guess what I'm saying is we're all fully equal at that point. You know, right. God, God can open up his word and his truth to them with as much power and passion as he has. And maybe it's even limited to maybe they don't have the joy of having uh, uh, the, the Book of Mormon yet. But, you know, their their relationship and their understanding isn't less. Um, it isn't less because of that. Yeah, it's just maybe where they're where they're at in time. But we have, I mm-hmm. think, some reconditioning to do of our mindset. Yeah, that we control the narrative. Well, think about this, Corey. When when Jesus Christ comes back on the earth, um, are we still going to be arguing over the Book of Mormon being the divine book or not, or is yeah. it even going to matter because yeah. the Son of God is going to be present He's, with us? Yeah, it's like <laughs> everyone's going to say, "Sure, sure, sure, thanks, Corey," but. Jesus is right there. I want to go hear it from yeah, him, right? right? Yeah, yeah. I, that really came out when Andrew Smith and I were, were talking about um, their experience in um, Nepal, and I, I anyway, we were talking about the Book of Mormon and the baggage that it came because of the Mormons over there. And I thought, well, but aren't you supposed to make sure they believe in that? I said, the Holy Spirit can use whatever it can use to whatever's going to work with whatever people at any time, mm-hmm. and if those people are brought to Christ by the Holy Spirit. Surely later on they'll realize that the Book of Mormon resounds of truth, but it doesn't have to be the number one vehicle to bring them. And yeah. and what you just said is is so true that um, it's about the Holy Spirit. And you're right. What So that's when you're born again. And if and we're all born of the same Father then, if the Holy Spirit has changed our, our heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been working – months on this outline that I th- think could be a good missionary tool to to not try to compete at all you know and if the Bible's the thing that brings some of the Holy Spirit great the the Book of Mormon can too but and it can be done in a way that shows God's love and his mercy and purity to the, to people um, to where their relationship becomes sound and it becomes the, the arguing points the debatable points become kind of moot because now now the pure word is revealed, and it does it so well. And I, my most of my life, I think I was kind of blind to that, and and now I see how important it is that this message becomes clarified, and it and it becomes a tool to tell people. But you're right when when people come to God, you know what um, you, that heavenly man, the guy in China, you know, we read that book. Oh my gosh, you know, with the little information he had, he wanted a Bible in the worst way, but couldn't have one, and you know the the torture he suffered in the hands of merciless, godless atheists in this country just to try to share the, the words of the Bible with people. Um, I I can't fathom the devotion of someone's heart there. Um, he doesn't need any words I can share with him. Right. You know, There's nothing I can yeah. offer him, right? This guy's, this guy's arrived. Well, for this period in time, um, I think that what we're doing hopefully brings me joy. The words always bring me joy. The words of God written in in the books that we have, revealing himself to us. It's just, to me, it's humbling and it's freeing to realize that at some point, we're not going to need any books because our heart is going to be intertwined with our creator and it's just going to be a knowledge residing within us, his spirit residing within us. Do you think Jesus had to sit down and and read books over and over to remember, okay, this is how I'm supposed to be, and this is what I need to No, That same spirit's going to be within us. And, and and like the scripture says, at that point, we're all going to see eye to eye, and there's going to be this global group of people walking arm in arm, just walking each other home. <laughs> you know, eventually, one day we're going to arrive at home. We will. Thank you, brother. <laughs>